So I kind of hear that that was part of the process too, is putting on another head coach hat. Yeah, you know, things like budget, uh, discipline, uh, managing, not only managing kids, but now started ha having to manage adults. And that's a whole new ballgame, you know. And, and I started off trying to please. And I learned real quickly that you can't please everybody. I, I saw a quote one time for for leadership. If you want to please everybody, go sell ice cream. Uh, welcome to the Nomi Network. I'm your host, Chris Williams. Um, we interview business owners, entrepreneurs, and industry experts just on a little bit more personal level. Uh, today, we've got a special guest, Coach Hal Roberts. Um, Coach, welcome to the show. I'm excited to get to know a little bit more about you, but uh, introduce yourself. And now I'm also going to read something here in a second about you that I thought was fascinating. Well, it's interesting that you call me coach. And anytime anybody calls me coach, I know that they we go way back uh, because the last time I coached was in 1989, I think. So it was, it was, that. it might even be further back than that. But anyway, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, I'm retired now. Uh, I was in public education for 38 years, 30 of those in leadership. I've, I've done anywhere from coaching to uh, athletic director to, I went from athletic director to elementary principal and then high school principal, assistant superintendent, superintendent. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, before that, I was fortunate enough to play football at the collegiate and uh, professional level and uh, lived my boyhood dream of playing in the National Football League. And in that year, what was really cool is I, I played in the Hall of Fame game, I played on Monday Night Football, and I played in a playoff game. So that was really cool. So, uh, and then after that, uh, I wasn't any good and they cut me, and that's when I started my coaching career. Interesting, interesting. So um, I want to read something here. It looks like you've kind of from coaching in the NFL, you've, you've, you've had a lot of life here and a lot of experiences. And so um, it says here, you know, you touched on some of those. I'm reading this from Amazon. So just so you know, okay. um, I liked it. It says you were a retired superintendent, 38 years in education. Listen, I, I'm just turned 40. So that's a long time. Um, <laughs> anywhere from fourth to 12th grade, um, athletic director, uh, principals, superintendents. And what I found really interesting that I want to unpack on the call is, you know, you've spent the last six, seven years um, doing some research on leadership and neuroscience, how that kind of works yeah. together. And this is what led you to um, maybe writing this book. Um, how'd you get to, to today where you're just, you know, what inspired you to write this book? Well, I, I got involved on Twitter probably in 2009 or so. And so through Twitter, I developed a whole lot of education relationships. And those of you that don't know about this on Twitter, you can go at any night that you want to and get professional development in any topic, any subject, <coughs> any grade level. And so I developed these relationships and and one of those was Dave Burgess, who is uh, famous for Teach Like a Pirate. And uh, through that, just started talking back and forth. And I thought, well, <clears throat> I've got a lot of experiences here. So I, I thought I'd write a book. Well, I didn't really write it until I retired. 
and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, my first book was Pirate On, and that flopped. I mean, it did nothing. And so, and I'm sure you can can identify with this. You know, when you turn in a paper or make a talk, make a speech, you you think, golly, I wish I would have said that, or I wish I would have written that. And so that's how this book came about. And so, uh, so I went back, tweaked some chapters, and even added four more chapters to that book. So that's what that's what came about with Make Waves. And, and so how long has Make Waves been out there? Uh, about three years. Okay. Gotcha, so, gotcha. you know, by no means is it uh, a bestseller, but it, it, it sells here and there. And, you know, it's, uh, but as a result of my books and on Twitter, I was able to, to do some public speaking uh, in Alabama and Florida and California and all over Texas uh, at, at different events. And so, um Anyway, I, I like to do that. I hadn't done that in a while. Uh, you know, when you get retired, you kind of fade into the sunset, so to speak, as far as that goes. But I still keep my relationships. Some of those um, are really good, and they could be long friend, long-lasting friends. So um, anyway, so that's that's how all of that got started. Interesting. So for those authors out there who are wanting to write a book, um, you know, what would you tell someone out there trying to write their first book um, with the with the mistakes that you may have made or looking back? You know, what would you tell? What would you wish you would have told yourself? I think the main thing is, is to start. So many people say, well, I'm going to write a book. And that's about as far as they go. But uh, I, I kind of took a template of the pirate acronym. Uh and, and grew from that with initially pirate was passion, uh, immersion, relationships. Uh, let me see, what, what was the A back then? Uh, gosh, I can't even remember it now. Uh, but anyway, E was in enthusiasm and T was transformation. It says analysis and authority. Yeah. So uh, analysis was was the, the original. And then with, with my First book, I added to each one of those. The P was passion and perseverance. And, and the I was uh, immersion. And I added influence. Mm. And relationships is a whole chapter within itself. And I think that's the foundation of anything. Just like you're doing right now, you're, you're networking with relationships. And... Uh, I think that's any leadership, anybody that has any kind of success is going to be good at, at relationships. I agree, and I agree. Transformation, and then I added trust to that. And uh, and then the last one, enthusiasm. And uh, gosh, I can't remember what, what that last one is, but I also added service at the end. And I think that's that's really important. But But the others, like the first chapter of this book is, you're called to produce fruit. Hmm. And no matter what line of work you're in, you need to produce fruit. Whether, you know, I, I did it, I, I based my chapter on John 15, on I am the, the true vine. Mm -hmm. And each one of my chapters, I have some scripture in it throughout to support those. And so that's, that's another thing that I hope comes out. And many people have commented, uh, 
and believe it or not, somebody, some of them get turned off as soon as they see that scripture is in there. And that's okay, you know, but maybe I can plant a seed and, uh, and get some fruit that way. But uh, anyway, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of it. Um, on the neuroscience side of it, uh, not sure how, well, there was a person, again, through Twitter, uh, that I developed, and she is an, was an expert. Her name is Julie Adams. She's out in California, and we we have a I would call her a friend. I, uh, but anyway, she zoomed in one faculty meeting for us because she wrote a book, and I asked her about it. And so I asked her to do that, just like we're doing. She got on Zoom and and made a quick little five minute presentation, and then threw it out for questions. And so that tweak my interest and more from from that point on for about two years I dug into neuroscience and basically it's just brain friendly friendly teaching strategies what works how to open the brain for learning and so forth and so uh, I put that in a little each chapter in here uh, not a whole lot uh, but uh, but anyway yeah so that's that's that side of it so I'm, I'm, I take it that you've seen like there's a hole in the boat out there that you could fill with this message. Um, where do you go mostly with this message? Is it um, schools? Where, where do you take this message? You talked about speaking. Is it strictly speaking about the book or is it strictly speaking about leadership characteristics? What is it that you typically talk about in your circuit? Mostly, mostly about leadership. Uh, but even when I do that, I, I feed in neuroscience. There is I spoke at a national conference in, in California and it was my, my whole talk was on neuroscience. And what's interesting about this, Chris, is that the question I asked before I get started when I do my neuroscience presentation and I'm talking to educators now and I say, okay, how many of y'all in your, in your undergrad work had any kind of neuroscience or brain friendly teaching strategies taught to you? And I bet you, less than 10% raise their hand. And I got to thinking, what's wrong with our education teaching colleges and neuroscience is not in there. Uh, and for the longest time, neuroscience was, was over here on this side and education was over here on this side and they didn't meet. But recently they've been coming together and talking about how can neuroscience help teaching. And so that's probably happened probably in the last 10 years, maybe. Uh, but even, even so, when as I do that, it's kind of like, aha, gosh, I wish I'd known that. I wish I, I knew more. And uh, so I, yeah, I think it's interesting. Find it, I'm kind of nerdy when it comes to that. Uh, find it really interesting. Uh, but and by no means am I no expert. But uh, anyway, I, my, my presentation topic is called the neurocardiologist teacher because I want to touch the heart and the brain uh, at the same time. And so it's interesting that you talk about using the neuroscience to what I kind of heard was basically open up the mind or the brain to learning. Absolutely. So my question is, well, when did it stop learning? Oh, it, 
the brain never stops learning for but for obviously me. it's it's it comes to a point you know where we, we we've kind of gotten to this point where we may not be able to i mean it's always learning but being able to turn it on if you will well i'll tell you what uh and i, I touched on this earlier the biggest part that opens the brain is relationships and i think you can think back to the teachers that missed the most that made the most impact on you are the ones that developed a relationship with you it's fair they are the ones that make the most impact and probably neuroscience backed us up developing relationships is probably the biggest factor in getting kids to learn because if kids don't like you, they don't trust you. If they don't trust you, they're not going to like you. I mean, they're not going to learn from you. Interesting. And, uh, so, yeah. So it just kind of starts from there. Yeah, it looks like you've, you know, this is, this is, I think of a wild at heart um, book where they talk about the cowboy stage, the warrior stage, um, kind of the stages of manhood. And, and I see you in that sage, you know, you're, you're the king that's out there building other kings right now, if you will. Um, what's it like to be in this, you know, giving of thyself back to the world, if you will? Well, for one thing, I love to do that. I love to present to, to people so that they can learn. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, I love, you know, that time that I talked out in Long Beach, there were, I was, quote, a featured presentation. And there were probably 400 people in attendance there. And even the next year came along, I was, they emailed me, are you, are you speaking at this conference this year, you know, and, uh, but every time that I'd spoke anywhere, and, and I did it at uh, principal conferences mostly. Uh, so speaking to other leaders. If I had a hundred books, I would have sold a hundred. Mm. I, I sold out every time I went to a conference. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that's where I sold most of my books are, are at conferences. Interesting. Um, did you did you grow up when you were a kid wanting to be an author? Oh, no, that was that was not even on the radar. And so, I, in fact, I, the only reason that even got me thinking that way is through Twitter chats. You know, somebody says you need to write a book out. You need to write a book. Oh, that's good. You ought, you ought to include that. And so, with that kind of thinking, I thought, well, nothing to lose here. Hmm. And so. Yeah, that's how that got started. So um, even getting into education, was there someone that you grew up around? Um, a matter of fact, heck, I don't even know where you're from. Where, where are you from? Dallas. Yeah. So you, you went to high school here? Yeah, I went to Doug T. White in Dallas. Yeah. Okay, wow. Um, I did not know that. What, what's it like growing up in the city in the 70s, right? Yeah. You know, what's talking about relationships, uh, I could show you my phone right now, and there are 18 guys that that I went to school with that we continually text each other. And uh, two or three times a, a year, we go to lunch with each other. And, uh, you know, obviously, we're a lot better than what we actually were when we tell our stories. Uh, <laughs> we got a lot better. But, uh, but anyway, you know, it's that didn't happen very much uh, that no. you stay in touch. I mean, cause we just finished our 50 year reunion just a, a couple of years ago. So uh, to maintain relationships and friendships over 50 years is pretty cool. That is some people don't even have five best friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I could call on any one of those guys and, 
and they would come running. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's pretty cool to to have that. And you know, I grew up in Dallas, then went to school at University of Houston, and uh, then uh, like I said, played here in what, the NFL. What, what kind of family did you grow up in? Mom and dad home? Was your dad out coaching? Um, where'd you get the coaching bug from? I'm kind of curious of what that looked like for you. Mom and dad were at home. No, my dad was, he was a vice president of a business forums company. Uh, mom was a teacher. Uh, so that was kind of ingrained with me. But, you know, the first, when I first went to school at, at U of H, I thought I was going to go in business and uh, go back home, work with my dad, grow, grow through that business. But uh, if you talk to Susan or me, one thing that got us both out of out of the business track was QMS 131. And that was college calculus. And I, I said, that's not for me. <laughs> so, so, but, you know, playing football, it got to, uh, that's where I got to coaching Buck. And uh, so. after I played and then came back, I, I started at the junior high level and worked my way up. But you you play ball kind of talk to me about what, you know, high school football here is a big thing. Were you just the punter or did you play other positions in high school? Well, I played both ways uh, and, and punted. Uh, and really, the only reason I played both ways is there was a receiver that got hurt. So I moved into his position. I played uh, safety and the really the best safety was a quarterback and they didn't want him playing both ways. So, so I, I was at safety, too. So um but yeah, you know, we had pretty decent crowds. Uh, even I think our best record was four and six. Uh, so we weren't very good. Uh, but uh, anyway, you know, the, you develop relationships in the locker room. And uh, that's that's where it all happens. And, you know, one of the things that, that I tell people about athletics is that uh, you can teach leadership a little bit. You can teach a whole lot of things. You can teach somewhat teamwork, but you can't teach responding to adversity. And I think that's more than anything in athletics that is that is unique. Uh, I don't think you can get that any place else. I could be wrong. Somebody sell me <coughs> how you can respond to adversity in some place else, but that's built in. And uh, you just learn that through through getting your butt kicked or your, your face knocked in or, or whatever. Uh, but but you have to, or you sh or you won't survive. Yeah, you got to get back up. Got to get back up. Um, yeah. I'm curious. You know, I wasn't a star college athlete or anything. I didn't go to the NFL. But you know, what was it like being recruited in when you were going to high school and college? Like, what? Talk to me about just maybe the difference that you saw your kids going through, and like, oh my gosh, you know, this was 40 years ago. Well, yeah. Uh, it was just cool, you know, for somebody to, to come to you and say, you know, come play football for us and and we'll pay your whole room, board, tuition, books, everything. And, uh, you know, today, if that was somebody offered you that, that, that in itself is probably 50, 60, 70,000 bucks <clears throat> very easily. Um, so, yeah, you know, um, that was pretty cool. I, I went to U of H because I was able wanted to play in the Astrodome. Um, <laughs> the there's no weather to worry about. And so half my games, I didn't have to worry about wind, the rain, cold, whatever. 
so that's that's kind of the main thing that that sold me on on U of H. Yeah, and the, the Astrodome's like a historical monument now, right? Yeah, it's not even it's just standing there now. You know, at that time it's it was the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah, and it was a big deal. I think it was finished in the mid '60s, and I got there at '70. So it was kind of new at that point. Yeah, so you you are at Houston um, playing football. As you look back, were there any really impactful mentors there that um, really pushed you into coaching? Or, you know, when you look back, how did that impact the rest of your future? Yeah, I, th I think I was impacted by a high school coach and, uh, mm -hmm. more than anything. And, again, it was – it was through relationships with him, you know, he, he was probably the hardest on me, uh, but uh, he did it through because he cared. And, uh, you know, it was off the field as much as on the field. And so I, I tried to take that uh, with me when I started coaching uh, to, to do that kind of stuff. So, um, but anyway, yeah. So, and, you know, in education, you're not going to get rich anywhere, but administration is is where the biggest part of the money is. And so I went because I once said I'll never get out of coaching, and and then I thought, well, I wanted to make a bigger impact, you know. So I wanted to get into administration then, and and so I went from being athletic director to elementary principal, <laughs> and uh, it was me and 33 women. And that was kind of eye-opening. And uh, so, but uh, anyway, that's how I got started. And all of that was at Spring Hill. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, uh, and I found an interesting fact here as I go back a little bit. You you played in the NFL, but you played for a um, team that's not around anymore, right? Well, they're in Arizona now. Yeah, so I read it. The St. Louis football Cardinals, right? Yeah. Yeah, but we uh, we won the conference that year, went to the playoffs, and we, you know, that was at a time where the fourteen game regular season, and we were ten and four. And uh, yeah, the Vikings beat us up there in Minnesota. We played on December twenty second, and the field was frozen, the wind was blowing, it was it was snowing, and it was like single digit weather. Uh, yuck yeah and being a skinny guy and uh, a punter having to wait on the sideline before I got in <laughs> it was something the first thing that I, I always brought several pair of shoes with me because I wanted to see what would be best um, and I went out on the field and the first thing I saw this was at Minnesota it was a baseball stadium also I walked out of the dugout, and the first thing I saw were these machines with torches on them going across, trying to thaw the field. Wow. It's an so, ice block itself. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't trade that year for, for the world. Uh, um, what, what, so you get in there for a year. Um, um, obviously, they brought you on. Um, you know, this is when NFL guys are making, you know, 30 grand. No. Well, quarterbacks were making. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is back when you actually wanted to do this for fun. Yeah, that's right. My, my first year, 
total salary, including playoffs, was like 21000 mm. However, if you think about it, I lived for two years on that salary. Uh, I, I finished, went back, finished school, and didn't work. And I was living on, on that salary last, that last year. So what would it take now to live two years on a salary? Yeah, did uh, you have kids then or were you married then? No, no, I was, got married during that time. Uh, okay. but yeah. So you, you're leaving football and I see a blank here in, on the timeline as I look at this. It's like from 75 to 85. You know, what happened? Um, looks here, you didn't start the athletic director position in Longview at Spring Hill till looks like around 85. So what was in between yeah. there? I started off as a junior high coach and then moved up the coaching ladder. So I went from- being Where were you junior high coach at? In Bay City, Texas. Okay. And uh, then I, I got a, a varsity position in Houston and Aldine. And then from there is when I was went to to Spring Hill as athletic director. So um, even even at uh, Spring Hill, I was only athletic director for four years, or head football coach for four years. Um, but you spent a lot of time there in Spring Hill. Yeah, ten years. Yeah, and that's where I met you. Um, and yeah, Miss Susan too. We met all you guys there. Um, yeah. um, interesting question, leadership wise, you mentioned, Hey, I got thrown into this, uh, you know, quote, leading 33 women. Um, as you look back, um, what, that's a big leadership task there. That's not, you know, out on the football field and Hey, let's get down and do this. This is, you know, how do you lead differently here? Well, you know, all I knew was secondary. I, I spent two years at junior high coach and the rest of the time was high school. And so um, I didn't have any desire to be an elementary principal, but uh, the superintendent says, we got this for you, do you want it? And I thought, let's do it. And uh, so I went from being the athletic director to that elementary principal and I love the job, great job. Uh, dealing with, with women is something else, uh, but, that was part of learning, I think. Mm -hmm. so I, I didn't know elementary curriculum. I had to dig in and learn about that. I had to learn how to, how teachers taught reading, you know? And so I researched that because when I went to the classroom to observe, I needed to know what I was looking for. And uh, so I think that was one thing that I always strive to do is, is learn my craft. And that was learning leadership. and. I can remember Susan and I talking on the way to Orange at my first, at West Orange Stark, where my first high school principal job was. She goes, one thing you're going to need to learn is, is high school curriculum because those teachers will call you on it. And so, you know, well, I dug into that now. Subject-wise, no, but learning how high school kids learned and, and, uh, just curriculum over wise and uh, vertical alignment and horizontal alignment. I had to learn all that stuff. And so I was always trying to learn just to, just to stay afloat, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I can imagine, you know, just um, I think of it as, hey, you went from head coach 
<laughs> to to quote still the head coach yeah you know yeah. You, you you know no matter if I'm the head coach of this team or that team I still got to go in and understand where things are where are we so I kind of hear that that was part of the process too is putting on another head coach hat yeah you know things like budget uh discipline uh managing not only managing kids but now started ha having to manage adults and that's a whole new ball game you know and and i started off trying to please and i learned real quickly that you can't please everybody i, I saw a quote one time for for leadership if you want to please everybody go sell ice cream mm -hmm. um, but you know and i i don't ask me where this was, but I, I once learned that uh, um, the best you can hope for in leadership is 80% support. So you have to realize that there's always somebody that doesn't buy into you. And, and that's something that you have to work through. Yeah, and bummer sometimes when those somebody seem, are supposed to be people that you know you think would support you. That's right. And, and to your face, they do. It's behind the scenes where, where it was. And, you know, unfortunately, I had a board that uh, seven bosses, I found that you can't please seven bosses all the time. And depending on who the ones that are, that are not supporting you, how strong they are influencing the others uh, uh, is a pretty big deal. So do you do you think there's any difference in hey i'm coming from a locker room authenticity a coaching um a locker room authenticity and transparency watching film to hey now i've got responsibility for this entire school that i don't have film on that i don't have things on and i don't have the accountability did you see it anything yeah. like that that's a great point uh yeah uh, even though i had to manage coaches the the coaching staff where there were we were all working on the same goal. And you would think that would be the same thing at, on a campus, but uh, I found that the teachers work for them more than they work for you. And that's where that part in my book about influence and trust and integrity, all of those come in because once you start showing those kind of things, then they start buying into you. And so- That's that top-down approach. Yeah. Uh, but I have learned that it's better to come alongside than to lead. And uh, I mean, and it's not my way or the highway, but let me come alongside you and lead you. And I found that that was the best way to do that. And, and that's hard to do because you know, as a principal, you got administration up above you telling you what to do and what needs to be done. While at the same time, you got a campus of teachers and and students uh, that that you had to manage. And so, uh, and then all of that time, all of those things too. You also have parents uh, that you have to deal with. So it's a uh, you never know what to expect from one day to the next as being being a school administrator. Yeah, so I mean, you moved right up the ladder um, in this thing. So again, um, 
if you had to look back at being a high school principal, how did Spring Hill prepare you for, I mean, if, if this wasn't Texas, you would have been moving a state or two away from, from oh, yeah. North Texas to South Texas. So it's a, it's a different environment. It's a, it's a Bay city, if you will. Um, talk about some of the differences in just that transition from Spring Hill to now I'm the principal outside of the, um, you know, just the curriculum, but a leadership perspective. You're the man now. Yeah. You know, but I was able to, I was able to, to move into that probably easier just because number one, if you knew during that time, West Orange Stark was big in, in athletic, well, in football. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the first year I there, I was there, we went to the state playoffs, lost, lost in the state playoffs, but they're there every year. And, uh, and so, you know, I was able to kind of influence the, the coaching staff and they were able to buy in real quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, let me tell you a, a quick story. First faculty meeting that I had, there were hired 33 teachers. They had a, a buyout deal, early retirement thing there. So I had to replace 33 teachers, three assistant principals, two coaches and a band director that summer. My first faculty meeting, the superintendent comes to me and says, hey, Hal, you need to come with me. This is the first district meeting we're going to have, and you need to be there. And I thought, oh, my, because I had a whole agenda laid out. And so I thought, what am I going to do? I just got through reading this book uh, called Point Man by Steve Farrar. And in that, he shared the story of the story of a Louis Lamore book called Riding for the Brand. And let me uh, show you what, what the result of that. So I, uh, so I read that and the story goes uh, to ride for the brand. This is a, a Western deal and that you come to here, you ride for the brand. You, there, I don't care about your background, but you buy into the, to the brand. If you don't, then you can move on down the road. That was kind of it, but it, it said it a lot nicer <laughs> in the story. But the, the middle faculty meeting right before Christmas had a couple of guys come to me in our that did our, our metal fabrication shop. And this is what they made me. It was an actual brand, WOS, uh, that they gave me. That's cool. And even, even before that, there was a commotion. There were two adult guys arguing back and forth. And it was a, um, one of my assistant principals and another male teacher. I don't know if he was a coach or not. But at one point, one of them said, well, you're just not riding for the brand. And I thought, wow, that, that made a pretty big impact. And so I didn't have a theme for the year each year until that year because the drill team made shirts riding for the brand and sold them football games that they they mentioned riding for the brand and so that really caught on and so every year after that i had a team uh, that i used and so that's that was a pretty big deal a pretty big turning point and uh that in itself was able just that story was able to get people on board with me for some reason and that that helped me in that first year, uh, do that. And so pretty cool thing.
Yeah, you know, it makes me think about um, maybe the blessing that you had been given by having all of those vacancies, you know, by able to bring on people that you knew were going to buy into all of your systems. So it just reminds me of coaching changes all around the world, right? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so now listen, you, you, you've become the, the principal, you go on to superintendent and I, I'm kind of learning this now as I've got kids in school, um, principals are kind of cheerleaders for their own little section of the, of the building of the school, if you will. But the superintendent is the, you know, he's the real big cheerleader. Well, you know, I even said, well, not I, but I saw that superintendents are just CEOs. If you come get right down to it. I mean, they manage a school board, which is huge. They manage teachers, students. They got the whole other part of facilities. You got budget. You have everything there is to run a company. Uh, So it's not just a superintendent. It's a chief executive officer of the whole I mean, because like when, when I was in Bay City, our budget was 32 million bucks. It was the second largest business in the city. Uh, at London, when I, when I was there, uh, it was initially a K-8 district. And the first thing they wanted me to do was create a high school. And so I thought, oh, I can do that. I've been athletic director. I've been coach. I've been principal. Uh, you know, my daughter was in theater and so I learned a whole other part about the arts along with all of the other honor society uh, ag and all of that and so yeah I can do that well the first meeting I had with my administrative team I said okay how many of y'all have a secondary experience and they kind of looked at each other and they said we all went to high school and so that I wasn't going to get a whole lot of support as far as being able to create a complete high school. Uh, but anyway, so created a high school, passed a bond my fourth year to build a high school. So we went from roughly 350 students to 750 students from a staff of 70 to over 100 in four years. Uh, Along with that, managing the budget. And, you know, another thing that's completely out of your control is how much income you have uh, from the state, from taxes. And you have to figure all of that stuff up to be able to build a budget. So uh, um, you didn't get a business degree, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) So do you think that, um, you know, the assistant superintendent job really kind of, did you have some people around you there that kind of helped you and you know, that prepared you for, hey, man, I'm able to open this new high school now. Yeah, absolutely. For number one, uh, my first stint in Bay City, 86 to 80, well, the guy that I coached with was superintendent when he hired me as high school principal and then eventually moved into assistant superintendent. And so not only that, but uh, I was, when I was in Bay City, I was over HR. I was over facilities. I was over uh, custodians. I was over police. Everything else besides curriculum and 
and uh, business I had wow. in the district. And so that prepared me to, to handle all of the stuff. Uh, Would you say, looking back on some of that stuff, it sounds like, of course, this is back to producing fruit. This is all fruit. But, you know, thinking back, you're like, man, that was a really tough time. That was a hard, but I, I love the accomplishment. If you look back over that superintendent time, was there anything that was just, ah, we really worked through that, and I'm proud of that? Well, creating a high school was something else because like I said, I didn't have a whole lot of help. And so, you know, when, when you, when you talk about creating a high school, I mean, those people helped me along the way a little bit, you know, I, I would give them jobs to do, uh, to research. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when you think about it and, and start from scratch from nothing, to be able to have a high school because those kids went from that high school to neighboring school districts just to go to high school. And so now we were able to keep those kids and uh, to be able to, to do that was a pretty big deal. That's probably the, the thing that I'm, I'm most proud of is, is creating a high school and then building, building the high school. Uh, that, was, that was a pretty big deal. Yeah, from an oversight perspective, you know, how much oversight were you on the project? You know, you guys hired all this out, but, you know, how much outside of creating it, you know, did you go out and hire all the people or did you outsource all of that? Oh, no, it was me. I oh, mean, wow. uh, of course, they helped me, you know, when when I had to hire more teachers, the, the principal and assistant helped me do that. Um, but, uh, you know, the way I built curriculum was I talked to my people at, at Bay City. I said, let me, let me have your curriculum and just the, the, the subjects and the, the brief explanation of, that, that you have in handbook where you actually choose subjects. Uh, you know, I didn't create that. I just stole and borrowed and talked to other folks across the state that I knew. Um, so. Yeah, not everybody can say they. Not everybody can say that they've done that. You know, it's um, a pretty unique situation. Well, that's really neat. And you know, you stayed here, and I guess, and you're retired here from London. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 2014 was my last year there. And then, did you take a little time off, or did you jump right into, hey, I'm, I want to give back now? Uh, well, you know, I, while I was doing this, I was taking time off. You know, okay. it wasn't full time, um, and now I'm pretty much full, fully retired. Although, gotcha. what I'm doing now is uh, our church, uh, Lake Point, is a huge. It's a, it's a mega church, and uh, there we are. We help. We are helping launch a new campus of Lake Point which is right across the street from Watermark. I don't know if you know where, where Watermark is. We're right across from them and we, we are helping launch that church. And Susan and I are heading the, the re-engage ministry there, which is a marriage ministry. And we are heading that. As a matter of fact, we just finished training our leaders this last Tuesday. Uh, and we will completely launched that uh, next year in, in early part of the year to where we will try to help struggling marriages get better. 
Interesting, interesting. Um, it's a lot of leadership going on. Um, you know, we got some leadership work and kingdom work, if you will. Um, I always think the kingdom work means more. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, definitely um, spiritual gift. Um, all right, there we go. Back in action here with uh, Coach Roberts. Had a little technical gift difficulty for the moment, but uh, Coach, now that we've got you back, um, this book has been something that you've been working on for how long now? I like to say I, I wrote the book but in about two years, and I actually uh, typed it out in about six months. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like, like I said, I, I, my, my first book, uh, Pirate On, was kind of modeled after uh, Teach Like a Pirate that Dave Burgess wrote. And then I, I went from this and just tweaked and, and added. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's what brought this book about. Um, you know, it's, whenever you uh, you write a book, you think, well, what am I going to entitle it? You know, and that was that was another deal. Uh, I kind of wanted to move away from, from the, the pirate stuff and be kind of on my own. Uh, be Hal Roberts, not Hal Roberts, the, the pirate after Dave Burgess. Mm -hmm. So uh, since there was a, a whole lot of stuff in there about sailing and, and that kind of thing, I didn't want to move too far away from it. And matter of fact, a, a couple of my friends on Twitter helped me, helped me name this and we came up with Make Waves. And so that's where we are on that. Um, yeah. Um, tell us about the book. Um, you know, I know you've kind of said it kind of outlined this pirate, but, um, you know, what kind of people are you hoping to pick this book up? You know, obviously it was re written for leaders, educational leaders, but even teachers have really liked it a lot. Uh, the ones that have it and, and read through it. And so I think any educator, I think any leader uh, and and you know, Chris, about about leader, people say, "Well, I'm not a leader," but if you think about it, if you if you influence anybody, you're leading them. And so, uh, you know, it may not be for everybody, but it's probably more uh, than than you think. There's more of an audience out there that could use this than people realize. And so, if there's any message that I'd like to get out there is that this book is for just about anybody, no matter what line of work you're in, 
whether you're in leadership, if you have a family, you lead a family. Um, obviously, if you're in a classroom, you lead, you lead students. Um, so there's there's a whole lot in here that that can be helpful in in any kind of work that you're doing. Yeah, I think that um, really what you your whole life kind of I could kind of hear is what you brought up in the beginning is that you know, relationships, relationships are kind of something that, hey, I got hired by this guy, I knew this guy, if you will, kind of just kind of who you know out there, if you will, and um, how important, I guess, attachment is, if you will, just being able yeah. to be transparent and honest and humble with people along the way. Well, you know, if you think about it, if you look in Genesis, one of the first things God said when he created Adam, he said, man was not meant to live alone. And so you go from there and we're, our brain is wired for relationships. Uh, no, no matter what, the, the brain, it's, here's a, another part of the, the, the neuroscience that, that, I, that I learned is the brain is always seeking. It seeks relationships. It, uh, it, it seeks pleasure, it seeks, uh, uh, I can't, can't think of all of them, but uh, relationships is the biggest part that it seeks and it's always seeking that. Um, and so to, if, you, if you realize that, then it can, it can help wherever you are in developing those relationships because that's how gangs get started is people they people get shunned by this group and then here's a group that accepts me and will quote love me and let me know that that I matter and so uh, it's really easy to to understand how gangs get started if you understand that yeah so, uh, um, you need to be somebody else's gang somebody yeah. else's tribe somebody else's family, somebody else's team, where you accept them for who they are, where you can be transparent, you can be humble, and just like we say in our marriage, be fully known. Mm. And yeah, uh, I like that. That's, that's been a big one for me as I've gotten a little older. It's um, for me, I kind of realized that I needed three things. I needed to be um, known, seen, and heard. Yeah. And so I think that's really important for, for our humanness, if you will. And yeah. so you talked about not meant to be alone. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are isolated, especially Corona, all these different fears going on in the world. Um, what encouragement would you give for people out there who need that relationship out there? Golly, I, I, it's, it's hard to say, man, you just got to find somebody because uh, in small, and, and it doesn't have to be a whole lot. It doesn't have to be 20 people. You could find two or three and I talk about that in my book is that, you know, Jesus had 12, but he also had that inner circle of three of Peter, James, and John, uh, where it's not like he was not unknown to those 12, but he was really known among those three. And I think if, if you can find two or three where you can be fully known what, what, what you're talking about, uh, uh, it just makes life easier. I mean, if you think about it, if if you if you're able to go to a friend and say, "Look, this is where I am. Can you help out? Uh, can you can you help me here? Can you help me there?" And, and if you have those friends that are able to do that, then that's what you're looking for. 
Yeah, I think that's the that that um, that pride spirit that keeps you know men in particular from using the H word, right? You know, nobody wants to ask for help. Absolutely, and so, um, you know, once you get past that, <laughs> if you can get over that, then then you're on the way. I guess that's interesting. Um, there's a lot of humility in asking for help too, right? That's that's putting ego and pride all down. Yeah, you know, and and I don't know if you've if you've read any of Brene Brown's books. But uh, she had the last couple of books that, that I read uh, of hers is, is really impactful. And, and, you, and the reason why I bring that up is because you use the term humility. And through her research, and she is big on, on research. And if you read anything about her, you'll find, I mean, she's thousands of hours of research before she writes anything. And she said, leaders that, that show humility are more successful than those that don't. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think even in my book in chapters 12, it shows humility is showing vulnerability. That's the title of that particular chapter. So, <laughs> so let me ask you this. I'm struggling with this in my own life. Um, how do you, and maybe this is just these two different leadership styles that are in the world right now. So you've got this old school, pull up your bootstraps, rub some dirt in it and, you know, get the grit going. And, you know, I also feel like the flip side of that is some of maybe new school leadership where we're or more empathetic, there's more humility, maybe more authenticity, um, yeah. if you will. And I'm trying to figure out how you maintain being a leadership leader and still come along with people and be on the journey with them. Well, let me give you an example. There was at one point when I was high school principal in Bay City and my and I, I did faculty meetings once a month by agenda. And the last agenda out of that, uh, I just put speaking from the heart. And what I said then at that time, I said, I have realized I'm not a very good leader. I've said that in front of my faculty. And you would be amazed at what that did to bring the faculty together, to bring them wanting to help me uh, because you know, I think most of them liked me, uh, but they didn't like some of the things I was doing or didn't do. And some of my biggest critics got on board just because I was vulnerable at that point and said, you know, guys, I'm just not doing a very good job. I need your help. And uh, that goes a long, long way of, of people coming alongside and really buying into your mission. Uh, of what you want to do because they're not going to buy into a mission before they buy into you. So, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, just being able to put thyself down, if you will, um, and elevate the greater good of the community and kind yeah. of say, Hey, I'm here too. So, you know, another thing that goes along with that, I, I mentioned to you, I, I put, influence in there but I also wanted to talk about integrity and trust and one of the things that I've really learned and uh, that those two things are never owned they're only rented that you have to earn those every day because even and I say in here life is a series of choices I mean you you hear the phrase well I had no choice well there's always a choice you know, no matter what it is, there's always a choice. 
And, you know, the phrase, do the next right thing, as long as you use that, do the next right thing, then you're on the way to gaining that trust, gaining, keeping your integrity and, and keeping the influence of what you were uh, hired to do as a leader. Mm. You know, integrity is a big word. You know, part of me wonders if some of that stuff's kind of maybe been lost out in the world, if you will. Um, integrity means I'm having to take responsibility for, I'm having to be responsible for all my choices. Well, and like I say, one wrong choice can lose integrity. It can lose trust. And it may not lose it for some. It may lose forever or it may lose it for a long time because trust is built up over time, not through one act and one choice. Yeah, it talks about here, you know, basically um, trust, integrity, humility is building health and safe relationships. Um, I think that that's a key word there is, is safe relationships because, you know, did everyone in the world grow up with safe relationships? And so we're just perpetuating that unsafe relationship into adulthood. One thing that's that I just, matter of fact, uh, the end of June, I stopped being this. I was an interim director of a crisis center for women and children. And uh, it was residential. They lived there. Uh, but uh, the women who came there were either sexually or emotionally, physically abused. Uh, some were just homeless. Uh, one was literally taken off a bridge. And two days later, she was in our facility. Another was taken down from a noose around her neck where she was unconscious. And five days later, she was in our facility. And so, you know, there was, there was one lady there as I was walking into the, the dining area. I just stopped and opened the door for her. And she stopped and looked at me and she goes, I'm sorry, I'm just not used to men treating me with respect. And so you can imagine the things that I learned there of, of what, because 90% of the women there had man issues. And so I had to really be careful of how I treated them. You know, I'm kind of one of those that come alongside and put my arm around you or see you, I'd like to hug you. But it, before I did that, I was very careful to build safe and healthy relationships with each one of those women before they could come along under me and trust me uh, and know that I was there for their best interests. That's, so, that's, that's uh, tough. You, how, many, how many women have come in and out of there? Oh gosh, when I left there, there were 22 there. Gosh. Probably seven or eight kids. And does the church help support some of that? How'd you get into that? I, I got into it because I, there was a guy that wanted me to help create a school for, for kids that had an incarcerated parent. And so it was on that campus uh, of uh, Genesis of where the school was going to be located. Well, for some reason or another, the school didn't make, uh, and the board was having problems with the director there. And so while they were going back and forth, they wanted me to be interim. Eventually, the, that, that director left, and I was the interim director for about eight months. And so uh, first 
staff didn't trust me. Uh, don't know about the women, but you know, through day by day, and they saw who I really was, and they came up. They they were able to trust me, and and we were able to move forward. Yeah, so, I think that's where the whole known, seen, and heard. People need to see what we do. You know, people are watching for sure. Yeah, you know, one of the ones when I when I the last day, uh, when I said, okay, I'm, you know, I'm leaving y'all, and she came up and hugged me. She goes, you were such a good leader, and we were so mean to you at the beginning, and look where you are now. We're we're hugging you and crying because you're leaving. And so, you know, that was fulfilling while at the same time kind of sad that, that I was leaving. Sure, 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 sure. Well, it sounds like you guys are doing well with the, the book here. You guys are active in the church, which is always good to hear. Um, yeah. <clears throat> really good to hear. Um, just to touch on one thing that we haven't talked about. Um, I also see here just in the background, there's something called Safe Harbor Academy. What is this? That's what, that's the school. Okay. Uh, that just didn't happen. Uh, okay. We, I think it was just because we weren't able to get the word out more than anything. Okay. Uh, but, but anyway, that's. Is that's that something right. that still might happen in the future or have we kind of uh, tabled that one? It's, it's tabled. Uh, it may be back there a little bit, but for a while it's, it's not going to happen. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, well, one thing I haven't asked about is um, you have two beautiful daughters that I haven't seen or heard from in a long time. Where are they? What are they up to? All right, Colleen, the oldest, older, is here in Y City. She is, for lack of a better term, a, a headhunter for C-suite employees. Okay. Uh, quite successful, makes more money than I ever did. Uh, has has a boy and a girl, and uh, so yeah, they're they're in Y City. Uh, Emily, the younger, is now an assistant principal. Uh, in Brownsboro, uh, has has two boys. Uh, so, yeah, that one fought being an educator for five or six years before she realized that's what she wanted to do. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, matter of fact, she's she's been talking to me. There's been some things said that you know it's interesting how any kind of leadership stuff. She gives me a call. What what would you do? <laughs> And well, it's cool that well, she's got a place that she can go ask those questions yeah, too. Yeah. When she was a teacher, she goes, okay, this is what happened. And this is, this is how the principal handled it. What would you have done? <laughs> so she was always calling me about those kind of things. Yeah, that's wise. That's wise. Um, what's, um, what's more beneficial as you look back? You know, you've, you've got uh, all of this career but now you kind of have made it to granddad perspective, if you will. What's it like being a granddad and oh, and or a, and also a grandparent as well as you know a parent to some forty year old kids? What's that like? Uh, being a grandparent is is the best gig because <laughs> you can you can love on them and spoil them and then hand them back. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure your parents are the same way. <laughs> They are, you know, I, I, I crack up the other day. My old man says, uh, he, I took him to drop off our daughter. She's going to stay out there for the day. And I call him, what are y'all doing? Oh man, it's nine o'clock in the morning. And we just left Brahms. We got milkshakes. <laughs> yeah. Ice cream for breakfast. Sure. You know, so it's, it's, it's awesome. 
<laughs> um, listen, Coach, it's been a pleasure getting a chance to unpack all this with you. Um, if you were, you know, I know you're trying to connect with some people out there. Um, what do you want to tell folks out there and how can they get in touch with you? Are you still open to these speaking engagements and, yeah. all, you know? Absolutely. You know, I, I, they can contact me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, all of those. I'm, I'm there just as Hal Roberts. I mean, if you, if you search Hal Roberts, you can, you can find me. Uh, and you're on Amazon as well. Hal Roberts, Make Waves. You know, hold the book up for us one more time. Let us see the book. Oh. Yeah, so people can see Make Waves. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, I think it's a good book. There's some of it's my stuff. Some of it's borrowed, uh, stolen. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do cite everything that, that I... I got from some someplace else. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, I, I, I would still love to speak. I love doing that. Uh, we're really busy in our re-engage ministry and launching not only the ministry, but also a new church. Um, and so, yeah, we're, it's, we're not just uh, hanging around and sitting around on the couch too much. Like uh, I said, like I said, there's, there's, you know, the stages of manhood, you know, I, I, there's a lot of men out there who make it to retirement is like, shoot, I'm hitting the golf course. Well, that's cool, but hit the golf course and give back. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, if you look in scripture, it doesn't ever say he retired and, and lived out the rest of his days. He was still doing something. And I don't, I don't know. I, I think Susan kind of was like, I want you here with me. She loves it, uh, but uh, she also understands that that's kind of in me, uh, wanting to do more, wanting to give back. I mean, that's, I did not sign up for being a director of a, of a crisis center for women and kids, but I loved it when I was doing that. I think I made a little bit of an impact. Um, so, and, you know, I would this ministry that we have, uh, it's really fun doing it uh, with with Susan. Uh, we're both doing the same thing. We want where we have a passion for for marriages, and so able to live that out and do that is really something special. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, I serve here with my at our church with my wife, and it's it's special for sure. Yeah, it really is. So. Um, but listen, this was great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we'll get all this loaded up and um, appreciate your time. All right. Thank you for the opportunity, Chris. It's been fun. Yep.